from John 9, beginning with the 40th verse. Some of the Pharisees near him, Jesus, heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You'll remember from last week that this passage comes, where we started and, and moving into chapter 10, comes immediately after the great story of the healing of the blind man. The last straw of that man's dispute with the Pharisees over the details of his healing was that Jesus had to have been sent by God. This conclusion was based primarily on the things that Jesus had done. The blind man, or formerly blind man at that time, his question to the religious leaders was, what other explanation could there possibly be? Because his transformation was a testimony to Jesus' identity. So even with the eyes of the sighted man gazing upon them, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, challenged the claim that Jesus was from God because he didn't have all of the expected uh, indications of being the Messiah. He didn't check all the boxes. He healed on the Sabbath. He was from Bethlehem. He he seemed to be in conflict with, with the temple leaders the religious institutions of that day. So our passage this morning comes as something of a response. Remember, in John, oftentimes there is a sign and then some sort of an explanation as to that sign. A lot of times that explanation comes in something of a dialogue with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. This is kind of the dialogue, the, the, the uh, uh, what is it, the pro- prologue comes before, whatever comes after, the afterword of uh, John of uh, Jesus' healing of the man born blind. As is Jesus' habit, he tries to make his point by describing a scene that should have been very familiar to those accusing him. He alludes to the practice of a first century shepherd enclosing their sheep in a communal pen for the safety of the flock. It may have looked something like we have upon the picture. In that day, shepherds often secured their sheep communally, several flocks to a sheep pen. So there was a gate. You can kind of see the outline of the person guarding the gate there at the very front. There was a gate that was guarded to prevent the various flocks of sheep from escaping and and strangers from entering. Only legitimate shepherds would have access through the gate, and only the voice of a legitimate shepherd would be recognized by his respective flock. That relationship between shepherd and flock had been fostered over time, and both elements relied on that relationship. 
the sheep trusted that the shepherd would lead them and provide for them. The shepherd trusted that the sheep would follow. It was a book written in the early 1940s by a French author. It has become one of the most uh, translated books, children's books, of all time. I wasn't really familiar with it until I ran across it this week. It's called The Little Prince. It's also a movie of that same title. But in it, the kind of the narrator part of the story includes the narrator crashing his plane in what you come to learn is the Sahara Desert. And there he meets a young prince from a tiny distant planet who had found himself through various events in that same desert. The planet that the prince was from had three volcanoes and a single rose. And the prince had diligently cared for the rose. But he became somewhat bored and decided to see what else was out on other planets and on Earth. And he ended up in this desert. And the prince's adventures on the planet and in, eventually in the desert, he encountered a fox who asked the young prince to tame it. You can see that quote from the fox there. If you tame me, then we shall need each other. To me, you will be unique in all the world. To you, I shall be unique in all the world. This talking fox said to this prince, so each have a unique role. Each party waits for the other as that relationship is built, slowly getting used to each other's presence. And the young prince, in describing to the, uh, to the new visitor in the desert, explained that his experience of training the fox, he described as wasting time together. Wasting time together together. As that relationship of trust is built, the rituals and routines that they developed, the young prince and the fox, as the young prince worked to train the fox, became familiar to one another, and they, kind, they came to expect one another to do certain things. And before they knew it, trust had been established. In presenting himself as the shepherd, and thereby <laughs> implying that the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day were not. There were a few things that first century hearers may have captured right away, which we may not. Sheep and shepherd are not born recognizing each other. That's something that's cultivated over time. It's not something that is you know, manufactured in some, uh, some warehouse plant, like, like uh, for instance, I don't know if I can even do this from here or not. Let's see if I can do this. So this little key fob thing, some Nissan uh, plant manufactured it and, and, and associated it with this truck out here. Oh, you can just barely hear the honk. Huh? Now that was 
There's some chip in here. I don't know how it works. There's some chip in here, and it's tied to the, the, the truck's security system. And, and from the time this was created and, and associated with the truck and probably the dealership is something, I don't, I don't know. It was, it, was, it was way more scientific than relational. In fact, if I gave this key fob to any of you, you could push the same button and have the same thing happen. More scary than that, if, if I left it outside, anybody could come and unlock it and do whatever they wanted with the truck. There's not a relationship of trust between my truck and, and, and my lock and, and me. It's, it's just programmed. Well, for a sheep and a shepherd, that's not the case. It's not programmed. It has to be developed. When the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and they follow him, there exists a process of mutual recognition. This is true because the shepherd has tamed the sheep. To quote the young prince, the shepherd and the sheep have wasted time together. And over the duration of time, their relationship has become unique. And the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice as the only one they will follow. The shepherd carries a deep responsibility to each one of the sheep as well. So Jesus is referencing a, a mutual relationship that arises out of to continue the use of the phrase, arises out of time wasted. Arises out of time spent together. Not something earned or uh, just something given because of some external position or title or pedigree. Jesus is kind of chipping away at the authority of the Pharisees here and of the, of the religious leaders to say, well, yeah, you, you, got, you guys may have gone to, to synagogue school and you may have, you may have uh, uh, met the equivalent of, of ordination, but your title, your title ain't it in terms of being able to lead the people of God as a shepherd. Faith and trust in the shepherd are earned, Jesus is saying. It's not something that is stolen or given apart from the duration of time. So as members of God's kingdom, especially as anyone with any position of leadership within God's kingdom, this passage reminds us that leadership in the kingdom requires a sense of authenticity, transparency, caring. Authority and respect are earned over time, not demanded or bullied. You know, the, the, the congregational polity, which is a big way of saying that a church selects its own pastor, it's not completely unique to Baptist churches, but it is unique. There are other churches where a bishop would place a pastor in a church, and the bishop is trusted to know the needs of the church, a bishop is trusted to know the gifts of the pastor, and to come up with good fits. Our life is different in that a congregation requests that a pastor come. And yes, there can be assistance from the denomination in, in, in linking people together. But it is not the decision of anyone in Topeka. <laughs> it is the decision of a local church. 
that allows, that allows, and something that I've really come to appreciate in my years here, that allows for this very unique sense of, of trust to develop. It takes time. It takes time for the minister to trust the congregation, and it rightfully does take time for the congregation to, to trust the minister. But there's this sense that, that both parties are, are here because we want it that way, as opposed to someone saying, this is the way it should be. And so with a, with a nod of respect and deference to, uh, to congregations and denominations that handle it outside of the way that we do, I kind of think we do it right because of the relationship that it allows to develop. But beyond church leadership or beyond uh, kind of that element of, of, of shepherding, Jesus is pointing to the Pharisees following their response to the healing of the blind man and, and their history of criticizing and critiquing Jesus every step. They didn't accept Jesus' claim to be from God as in their mind he lacked some of the key external markers. In John's gospel, though, he makes clear that Jesus' claims arise instead from his relationship with God's people, that he knows the sheep, and the sheep hear and follow his voice. When God speaks in the voice of Jesus, the sheep recognize it. Among all of the noise and all of, all of the other voices around, they, they hear that voice and, and they automatically hone in on it. I couldn't ask for a better story than this this week. So the royals had a problem when they went to Toronto in that Canada, as the United States does if you're coming into the United States from uh, other countries, requires proof of vaccination, COVID vaccination. And the Royals had 10 players on their team who had made the decision not to be vaccinated. And they only have 25 uh, players on their roster. That's a lot that couldn't travel to Canada to be part of this four game series. Well, luckily, some of their players in Omaha and Northwest Arkansas, their AAA and AA teams, they were vaccinated, a fair amount of them, and so they called up 10 new players, some of them having never been in the major leagues before, to travel to Toronto and play for the Royals. One of them, one of them was this guy right here, number 18. His name is Nate Eaton. The Royals have high hopes for him in the future. This is probably a little earlier than they really thought they'd call him up. But circumstances dictated that Nate Eaton was called up, and he played in the game. He started in the game on Thursday night. It was the top of the ninth inning. The Royals were ahead 2-1, to one, and Nate Eaton was at bat. The Royals' bullpen hasn't been great this year, so any, any insurance runs, as they call them, are always helpful. Nate Eaton worked the count to three and two. It was a 10 pitch at bat, so a lot of foul balls. And the pitcher pitched the 10th pitch, and Nate Eaton, for his very first hit as a major leaguer, hit it 416 feet over the left field wall. I was trying to look up last night how many players could claim a home run as their first major league hit. I couldn't find it and decided I wasn't gonna spend that much time looking at it because I was more interested in what Nate Eaton said after the game to the Royals 
uh, announcer Joel Goldberg up there on the right. This is what he said. When I was running around the bases, right as I got to second, the only person I could hear cheering, he meant to say was, but he's too excited to use proper grammar. The only person I could hear cheering is my mom. She was just screaming her head off. She's enjoying this probably a lot more than I am right now. Mm. The voice he heard after the most, to that point, the most significant event in his professional life was probably the first voice he ever heard. It was the voice that he had learned to, to trust and rely upon throughout his, his earliest life as a human being, even before he was born. The one who had cared for him, the one who took him to countless Little League practices. The mom in the stands who was yelling, Go, Nate! Go, Nate! Probably watched him in high school and travel ball and probably watched him in northwest Arkansas and Omaha and here she was in Toronto. And he hits the home run. And the voice that he hears is the one that he has honed in on through the most difficult days of his life to this point, one of the greatest. The only voice I could hear cheering was my mom. Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. May we train our ear to hear the voice of the shepherd and then be willing to follow where he leads.